Hi there, and welcome to Live from the Cyber Institute. In this podcast, we listen in on conversations taking place among ministers, church leaders, and scholars as we engage the issues facing Christians and church leaders today. We hope that this episode is thought-provoking and a blessing to you, because as with everything we do in the Cyber Institute, our mission is to equip church leaders and help churches thrive. After you listen, make sure to follow our podcast so that you get all the latest episodes from your podcast platform of choice. Let's get started. Welcome to Live from the Cyber Institute. My name is Jennifer Schroeder, and I'm the director of Summit for the Cyber Institute. I also teach children and family ministry courses here at ACU. I am joined today by Dr. Dana Kinnemer, Associate Dean of the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences at Abilene Christian, where she teaches courses in early childhood education and children's ministry. Additionally, she has authored and co-authored numerous publications on children's spirituality. Despite Dana's busy life as an administrator and academic, on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings, you will find her amidst her kindergarten and first grade friends at church. She has served in children's ministry in various capacities for almost 40 years, where she has long been Teacher Dana. I'm really excited to sit down with Dana and talk about children's spirituality and spiritual formation. Dana, thank you so much for being here. Well, talking about children and spirituality and their place in our faith communities is one of my favorite things to talk about, so I'm thrilled to be here. Good, good. I'm excited to jump in. So I think that then maybe our best jumping off point is this question of what needs to be our foundational understanding, our starting point for this conversation about children's spirituality. You know, I think the first thing we need to think about is do we really believe children have spiritual capacity? Do we do we watch children? Do we engage in conversation with them? Do we include them in various practices in our faith communities in ways that are guided by this idea that they are able to listen to God? They're able to, um, at times, reveal God's truth, that they have spiritual capacity. They are indeed spiritual beings as fully human made the image of God. And so understanding that, I think, is the first question. Do we really believe that children's spirituality is worthy of attention and question and evaluating our practices or not? Or do we just think they're in a holding pattern? And that's a really interesting point that you bring up, that just that that dichotomy of do we actually believe that mm-hmm. children are spiritual beings versus a holding pattern? What would you say maybe has led us to a place where perhaps churches are a little more often demonstrating this holding pattern mindset? One of the, now I'm an early childhood professor. My doctorate is in early childhood education from UT Austin, though my dissertation explored children's perceptions of God. Um, As an early childhood person, developmentally appropriate is a thing. Um, And for a long time, sort of Piagetian ages and stages, what kids can and can't do at various ages has, has guided our, our practices as we walk with children on this faith journey in ways that I think are to our detriment. Uh, Because often those 
uh, stages, particularly for young children, they're defined by deficit, what they can't do. They can't do this. They can't do that. They can't do this. They can't think in abstract ways. They can't see from other people's perspectives. Number one, neuroscience is saying that's not entirely true. <laughs> uh, but also it makes us approach them first by what they cannot do. Instead of looking at them with capacity. I think we have also trivialized childhood in a way with this overly romanticized view of innocence without recognizing the complexity of kids. I mean, they're a mess, just like we are. We're a mess. You know, I mean, it's like there's a yin and a yang all over the place. I love Marsha Bundy's work. Uh, and she talks about thinking about children more realistically that, that yeah, they are, in fact, um, fully human, made in God's image, but they're still developing. Seems contradictory, but hold both of those things in intention. And they need our guidance and instruction. Um, they are these gifts and blessings, and they can be really selfish and mean sometimes. You know, yeah. it's both. Um, they are sources of revelation, but they're also immature. And so we... As we engage with children, I think we can't land on one side or the other. We've got to hold these truths about children in tension and not lean into what they can't do as our primary guide. Yeah. So in thinking about viewing what they can do and thinking about holding all of these these perspectives in tension with each other, why, do, why would you say that maybe churches struggle with that? How, how does that play out? Um, maybe... From both a theoretical standpoint, but also mm -hmm. a practical one. Well, when I think about children's ministers uh, these days, I have tremendous compassion and concern for them because I, I, I think they're often being asked to do things and what they would want to do, they can't necessarily do. I think our churches often talk about that we value children and we want them there. But because of our romanticized and diminishing view often of them, of what they can't do. Um, it, well, Joyce Ann Mercer talks about our ambivalence. You know, we're ambivalent, really. Uh, we say we want them, we want them to belong, but because they can't do these things, we're going to put them over here. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do these things instead while we do our grown-up things. Um, we've also... Um, we're getting challenged. I think often our children's ministers are getting challenged to make uh, the children's spaces really attractive and um, often to just get the grownups to come to church. Sometimes that's my cynical side. Um, <laughs> but um, what that looks like often is to make it fun, uh, to make it uh, kind of sparkly um, and that doesn't allow us to take seriously our time with kids. We misunderstand what fun is all about, mm -hmm. you know. Scotty May challenges that, saying that children do long for connection. They long for meaning. Yeah, they do it sometimes with wiggly bodies, but this quest for fun um, doesn't allow us to really think about what is this time with children in families and our faith communities as we think about spirituality? What's the point? Mm -hmm. I think we lose track of the point when having fun becomes our target. And I know children's ministers are pressured in that way. And that's hard. 
Yeah. I, I having been a longtime children's minister, it's it's that it's it's the tension of holding the theological perspectives mm-hmm. in tension with each other, but also the very real um, constraints exactly. that we have placed yeah. upon us um, from a myriad of sources. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to touch on something that you said um, and reference oh, just, I, I would like to say specific articles and chapters. However, I know I've heard you say this in multiple instances, so I'm not going to necessarily call that out. But this idea of the ability to enter into a sacred space mm-hmm. with children that, that, you know, our kids are capable of so much more. It's just with wiggly bodies. Yes. And so what does this look like to venture into a sacred space with kindergartners, first graders, yeah. three year olds, second graders, you know, all of the different age groups? You know, I think one of the first things <laughs> that we have to recognize is they're not a lot different than us in some ways because we go back and forth from a joke to serious you know in our conversations you know we flip back and forth they do that same thing it looks different in children's bodies and so I think we have to be careful about assuming that we know what's going on by what's happening with their bodies um okay so one of my favorite kind of moments where I God kind of said, hey, things are going on here that that you're forgetting. (laughs) Um, I teach kindergarten first. And so when one year when my kindergarten kids came up um, and at that time when we went to table time, we split the kindergarten first. I needed to have a little class meeting about going to the bathroom because our little kindergartners were really wanting to go to the bathroom a lot. And um, really, they just wanted to go down the stairs to the bathroom because this was different. And because their bathroom before was right next door. So this is kind of fun and attractive. And so I had this little conversation about going to the bathroom and why it's important not to. And there was a little boy who was sitting right in front of me, uh, who's now in college. But I remember this moment so strongly. And no one was sitting around him. They were all behind him. But he was sitting in front of me pretending to urinate on the carpet while I'm talking about going to the bathroom. And I'm thinking this, he is not paying any attention. And we were talking about Samuel that day and listening to God. And so the children went outside and had some time to think about listening to God and what that is like. And then they came in and they drew a picture of their favorite place to listen to God. And this little wiggly boy uh, drew these like blocks and like the stick figure and these circles. And um, I thought he is not even paying any attention to what he's supposed to be doing. He's not taking this seriously. And so I asked him, I said, tell me about that. And if for those of you who've seen uh, Jacob's dream on the ACU campus, if not, you can Google it and find it. He said, that's Jacob's dream. I like to listen to God at Jacob's dream. I climb on the rocks, I jump around, and I listen to God at Jacob's dream. And so this kid goes in a matter of like 20 minutes from pretending to urinate on the carpet (laughs) in a funny little boy way to reminding me that, yeah, he's got a wild little boy body, but he does, in fact, have a meaningful relationship with God. 
the cool thing was he, when it was time to be baptized, he invited me. He was baptized at Jacob's Dream when he was a teenager. You know, I mean, so it, there are lots of situations like that where I, where I am reminded not to look at what's going on with their bodies. Yeah. And assume nothing's happening. Right. Because often that's what they have to do in order for things to actually happen for them. So. That, oh, I love that story. That's beautiful. And I can, I can totally picture it happening. So, but it, 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 I keep coming back to the why. And I know I, I know I ask the question why way too much. Why do you think we as adults struggle so much with, with going, you know, cause I think any one of us would go, Oh, he's just not paying attention. Right. As opposed to there is something really intentional at work there. I, I'll go back to what I was. What I said earlier is that I, I don't know that we have collectively recognized that children do have spiritual capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not the church of the future. They're the church of today. I think people say that. Keith White says that we have to really embrace this notion of the child among us you know, in the midst uh, call to be like the child and not just for the goal of full participation, mm-hmm. but he asserts that if we want to grasp the full truth of the gospel and an understanding of the person of Jesus, the lens of the child is critical. We can't do it without that. And so I I don't know that we really believe that. Mm -hmm. I think our focus is on teaching them what they need now, Mm -hmm. which is that tension. Yes. Talk about it on the way, you know, while you lie down, you go to sleep and all that stuff. Um, But there's also in Deuteronomy, everyone must come. Men, women, children, and the stranger among you, you know, um, do we really think that they have something to bring or do we just think that they are recipients of what we have to give? And I'm not sure we're there yet. Mm -hmm. Even though I think we desire to be. We desire to be. So how do we make that shift? How do we start, you know, changing the paradigm? Okay. So... Acknowledge the challenge of the the children's minister. Um, And in most of our churches, the children's minister has limited access to the full faith community, right? Um, There have been times when I have done um, Elderlink for the Cyber Institute, and I've asked the ministers in the room, when was the last time you did a sermon series on children? And the room is silent. Mm -hmm. I I think that one thing that needs to happen is for our churches to engage in communal study and discernment about what Jesus calls us to, what God calls us to. Even in the Old Testament, when your children ask, do these things, your child's there. And when they ask and um, until it is, for lack of a better word, elevated to a position mm-hmm. of this is important, not just for the children's minister and the people who volunteer over there and the parents. This is a faith community issue, center of the conversation. I long for that to happen in our churches. 
Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Um, are there places you think we're getting it right in our faith communities? And what, what does that look like? What is getting it right? Um, and I, I hate using that uh, terminology. Well. That's not a great terminology. What does, what does intentional spiritually formative experiences, what would that look like in a faith community in your, in your perspective? Um, it's not just one thing. Um, one, um, I am fully convinced that our children were meant to be with us in our communal worship. But what that looks like is that, well, Scotty May says, you know, we want them to be this culture of happy and nice and quiet. Um, what that looks like is that our churches and our faith community is guided on how to welcome weekly bodies, mm-hmm. uh, how to provide children uh, with ways to be in that space. But they want to be in that space. They really do. Um, children have told me that. <laughs> um, finding ways for them to do what they want to do. And I, I, I love that these things happen at Highland, um, that they're part of the service. They serve communion. They lead the Lord's Prayer at times. They're able to uh, read scripture to the church, to to participate, you know, put the child in the midst. Um, but I think the church has to come to a point of shared commitment to be okay a little bit with the noise. I was at a a conference once and um, it was largely women and uh, they were just beginning to start it. And there was a young mother at the front who had a baby and the baby started crying and she started to leave. And the speaker at the front, and this always makes me cry, said, no, stay. We need the noises, even the cries of your child that remind us of the cries of children all over the world. We need your baby here. Those things have to be said intentionally. Mm-hmm. They're not going to happen by accident. Um, and so to communicate, why do we have the kids here? To provide space for them, not to just watch, but participate. Um Sometimes that that means changing structures, Mm -hmm. but we are not complete without them. And it, and having them there is not just about the children. Mm -hmm. It's about us. There are, there are things that we will miss without the children in our presence. Say more about that. (sighs) You know, I've been doing this like forever. I've been hanging out with children since I was 12 at my church, um, children remind us of things that we've forgotten. They ask questions that we are afraid to ask, but that need to be asked. Mm-hmm. They ask us, so what does that mean? And what that requires me to do is, if I'm really listening, it's an opportunity for God to say, so what does that mean, Dana? Mm-hmm. Think about this one again, because it may not be what I thought 20 years ago. I may not have really thought about it for 20 years, but it requires me to stop and think. 
what what do I think it means? Why is that important? Um, they have a capacity um, for curiosity and joy um, that we have learned to squelch. And I think that's important. But they also have a capacity for compassion. And they will call us to that mm. at times. Um, those are some of the powerful sorts of things I, I experience when I'm with kids and I'm reminded again and again that yes, God is present in this process. It's not all about me. Um, God's working too, you know, I often say, oh yeah, they heard God and Jesus and went home breathing. But when I really stop and think about it. There are these moments every time I'm with children in our faith community that there was a holy moment there. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were, and I think that's the other thing we have to do is to really be observant with children with this expectation that things are happening, so we don't miss it when it does, because it does. It and just may not look like we. It may not look like we think it's going to, but if we remain open with a hospitable posture toward children, a respectful posture toward children. Um, I am always surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I continue to be surprised. I shouldn't be, but I am. <laughs> the work of the Holy Spirit. It is. So I'm going to go back to something you said a moment ago. Um, I know over the COVID season, mm-hmm. you did some research um, about uh, children mm-hmm. and worship and what they were missing. Um, can you tell us a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah, speaking of wiggly bodies, those, I, I was able to do those interviews face to face. The families, when I asked them, um, would you prefer me to do this Zoom or face to face? I'm like, you're not going to get anything Zoom. Just come over and we'll be outside and you'll be, you know, kind of spread apart. And so that was an amazing gift. Um, it, these children knew me. And so these were not strangers to me. Um, but some of the things that they said, um, the presentation that came out of that was entitled Missing Church. And some of the things that came out of that did surprise me. They missed the communal gathering. They missed singing together. They said, you know, on Zoom, it's just us, but I like being in church where I hear all the voices around me. Um, They missed communion and talked about the, the, powerful act from a childlike language. You know, one child said, well, you know, that communion we pick up at church was not delectable. That's what he said. <laughs> what do you mean? He said, you know, the cracker. I said, oh, you mean the styrofoam kind of thing? And he said, yeah, that was, no, nah, that was not any good. I said, was there something else you missed about communion? And he said, well, we couldn't really share it. Hmm. I mean, he understood this communal aspect of communion um, that he could not. He said, you know, passing the tray and giving it to the next person. And we couldn't do that. We couldn't share it. And he was a nine-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Um, they missed the actual space. Um, space matters, especially if it's a space you grew up in and they told me places in our church, including our 
you know, sanctuary, they just missed that space because that space matters to them. It holds memories. It holds their story. It holds their experiences in worship. It holds their feeling of belonging. Uh, but they also had some tips to give the elders. <laughs> Could you share some of those tips? I'm dying. <laughs> some One said, you know, um, I like kid God songs. That's what they call them. But I like grown up God songs too. And, but I think we should sing some of the kid God songs sometimes. But I also think maybe that, that the kids could go up and, and lead the songs. You know, not like when they have a stand up there and sing a song, but to actually be part of that team that helps choose songs and maybe helps to lead the songs. Um, and so they'd had opportunity to, you know, read scripture, etc. But for this child, the, the act of singing was so important. And including the child in that decision making of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes maybe we could be in that meeting when they talk about what they're going to sing. Um, they have things they want to contribute and... Um, you know, are we willing to change our structure and expectation of what worship looks like to make space for that and be surprised with what God does with it? Mm-hmm. Um, they also talked about the need to recognize that as we come back from COVID, and I think this is a, a this is a truth that is 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 more than just COVID. Um, they said. We need to know that as people come back, they're going to come back in different different ways. Some people just jump right in. Some people need a place to sort of be quiet. Some people need um, to be able to cry and a place to go do that. And so when we come back, maybe we need to provide places where people can do all of those things in the ways that they need them. Yeah, that one was a big one. Um and they also said, oh, so one child, they talked about providing children with things to do. And, you know, we have our little fidget toys in our little bags, our sensory bags at Highland. Um, now, I mean, that was not something we had fully in place before COVID. And, and one little girl said, well, you know, I think they need some accoutrements. <laughs> like, That's a really big word. Can you explain? What I mean, and she ran out of her room and she came back with one of those fidget toys. She said, you know, like these, um, we need to provide things for them. So they, cause they do like to move, but it doesn't mean they're not listening. Yeah. Is what she said. So they need accoutrements. That's, <laughs> that's what they need. <laughs> but there's just such wisdom. There is in the voices of children. Yes. And, um, we, the general church, uh, even when we hear it, I think we struggle to really listen mm-hmm. to it and really, try to um, understand yeah. what is being said. Right. Um, you have talked before about Westerhoff and his view of spiritual formation as a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I love his, well, I, I love the metaphor of journey um, just because, you know, I'm 63 and I'm still not there yet. And so it's kind of affirming <laughs> to know that it's not a destination, that this is a journey of becoming and transformation. It's a process. Um, 
But he reminds us that we are co-pilgrims with children taking this journey together. We're a little farther along on the journey, but we're doing this together. And we learn with them, but we also learn from them. And it's it's a reciprocal relationship um, between the adult and the child um, as pilgrims. But I, I do think that notion of journey is so important because when we think there's this certain stuff that has to happen and certain things you have to know, certain things you can recite, but we forget that none of us have arrived yet. Mm-hmm. As a grown up, I still can't explain omniscience. I have a word for it, but I can't understand it. And if we are honest about our own adult journey, continuing to unfold, I think it's easier for us to recognize that that's true for the child too. They're on a journey. Mm -hmm. And actually sometimes they pull us back and say, Hey, remember when you did this earlier in the journey, you need to like do this thing again. (laughs) Um, But the idea of journey, a pilgrimage Mm -hmm. ongoing is I think another way to look at children, recognizing that, They are on this journey. They're not waiting to get on, you know, the bus. They're on the journey already. And God is present on the journey with them. Um, It allows us to be a little bit more um, hospitable and mutually engaging Mm -hmm. with them, recognizing we're not there yet either. Yeah. Um, So let's maybe shift slightly to a practical sort of question. Mm -hmm. So as as churches are trying to maybe make a paradigm shift, reimagine what does this look like to really have the whole church as part of the whole church, Mm -hmm. what are maybe one or two just recommendations you could make, even just small little steps Mm -hmm. that would be meaningful and make a difference and move us forward? Recently at Highland, um, when we were doing... Uh, a study of the parables. Everyone was provided with these blank journals to draw in. And it wasn't presented. They weren't childlike. They looked like the journals you would purchase as a prayer journal for an adult. But everybody got them. And people used them in different ways or chose not to use them. But it was a space where in some ways the child could lead us because children often draw meaning before they can speak or write that meaning. Um, But it called um, the adults to sort of slow down and use an intentional way of thinking and processing that was inclusive for everyone, Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't, oh, we're going to do this for the kids. It's like, we're going to do this as a church, but it's definitely a child friendly Mm -hmm. practice. Um, Oh, I'm thinking about that article that uh, came out in the journal recently um, about including people with disabilities Mm -hmm. in church, adults, and using prayer practices that um, perhaps provide visual images to go with them um, that are repeated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our children at Highland know the Lord's Prayer. Because we say it every week. 
those words have become part of them. And so sometimes some ritual and repetition is a way for children to enter. Mm-hmm. But I am blessed also by that coming back to that prayer week after week. It's good for everybody to speak those words. Uh, but because we do it every week, the children can can participate in that as well. That's a couple of things. Yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate those. Um, and I think the thing that's so evident in what you're what you're you're saying and, and the illustrations that you're given giving are that we're not saying, hey, let's develop something for the kids and now and then communicate this idea of we're gonna do this but just for the kids. Mm-hmm. But no, this is for the community of God. Mm-hmm. This is for the whole church. Yeah. And yes, it's it happens to be more child friendly, but this is a meaningful practice for the whole church. Thus also communicating a sense of value and worth and belonging, the whole people of God participating in mm-hmm. the whole church. Yeah. And there is just a fullness of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. that is illustrated through that sort of approach. Okay, so as we close out our time, our conversation here today, is there anything else, this may be putting you on the spot, is there <laughs> anything else that you really think it's just super important? If you could say one thing to church leadership to help them really move move to a place of fuller understanding, what would that be? Oh, my goodness. I I would ask then to really consider the question that we started with. Um, what do they believe about the spirituality of children? I, I would also say to think about what are, recognizing that children are theological meaning makers. David Sinas has a lovely book and, and we share some research looking at that contextually. Um, I think do some discernment about what's going on in your church. What messages are you giving children? Mm-hmm. What message are you giving the congregation about children? Intentional, unintentional. Um, what theology is expressed in the practices we choose where children are? And is that consistent with the theology we have as a faith community? Um, and do we think that matters? Do we think that those sometimes... Im- well, often implicit theological messages mm-hmm. by the way we share the text with them, by the way we place them in our church spaces, by what those spaces look like. Um, have we really thought about what the messages are? And are those messages we want to share? It, I, I think church leaders need to start, start with some discernment. Number one, do I believe that children have spiritual capacity, that they are making theological meaning. And are we providing spaces and relationships and engagement in communal practice or even their child-focused activities in ways that are consistent with our theology? Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) But it really gives us a place to just to to start to think. And, and I, I believe you're right. I think that is, um, what would be the, the best, that would be the best place to start. Let's, yeah. let's figure out is what we believe. Yeah. Um, meeting up with our practices. Don't just do something. Right. <laughs> Don't just start to do it. Start with what do we believe? Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for your time here today and your heart for children. And perhaps most of all, thank you for reminding us that we as a church are not complete unless that body is complete. Thank you very much. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening today to Live from the Cybert Institute. We would love to connect with you on our social media channels, and you can always find all of our various resources at our website, cybertinstitute.org. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on your platform of choice, then share it with your friends. Until next time, may God bless you in all that you do.